Well, um, it's a really wet morning this morning. I am surprised that you guys showed up. Can you give yourselves a round of applause just for swimming to church this morning? Good job. Yeah. It's so easy if it was me and I was just trying to come to church. I don't know if I would have made it this morning, but you guys did. So good job. Um, I got a sermon for you this morning because it's um, Mother's Day. We're honoring moms. I got a sermon about a really good mom in scripture, an Old Testament hero. Um, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm pulling this mom out of the book of Ruth. Anybody ever read the book of Ruth? Come on. Anybody read the Bible in here lately? Christians? All right. Good. I hope so. The book of Ruth is a really cool book, and I am not going to read all of it, although it's only short. It's only four chapters long, but it's a really cool book, and it's got a couple, actually three pretty amazing people that it describes in this book. And if you've never read the book or if you read it a while back and you just, I'm refreshing your memory, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Go home today, get into your word, and read the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters, but it's really good. It's really encouraging, and I'm not going to be able to go over all of the details of the story today obviously, but there's more for you in the Word of God. There's more for you when you interact personally with the Word of God than simply sitting in a sermon on a Sunday morning. Amen? You guys believe that? So it's a personal Word of God to us. So go home and read the book of Ruth, but we're going to talk about Ruth this morning, and um, I want to talk about Ruth in a different light, because when you read the book of Ruth, usually, who do you usually focus on? Ruth. That's pretty easy, right? Some of you guys are like, I think it's Ruth. I don't know. Maybe someone else. And then, it's Ruth, right? The book is named after her. So we usually focus on Ruth and, and what an amazing example of unconditional love that she showed and, and just dedication and just she's a really godly person and a really neat example that we can kind of take, learn some lessons from. However, today I want to focus on someone that I believe really the focus should on, actually be on in the book of Ruth. And that is the mother-in-law, the mom, if you will, Naomi. How many of you guys remember Naomi in the story? Did you guys know this? That the book of Ruth actually starts off focusing on the life of Naomi and a chain of events happens and it actually ends up focusing on the life of Naomi. In reality, I think the book is really more about the life story of Naomi and Ruth happens to be like a key character that kind of intersected in her life. We always give all the glory and the fame to Ruth, but honestly, as we read today, if it wasn't for Naomi, what Ruth did would have never happened in the first place. And isn't that honestly just like life in general, moms, that your kids get all the glory and everybody forgets that you were the one that raised them and changed their diapers and yeah. fed them and, you know, pushed them out of the birth canal and all that without being too graphic? Just, I'm just saying, moms, right? I'm just trying to give you a little props. Thank you for what you did for all the rest of us, right? But too many times it's like, the kids get the glory and we forget that part of the reason we're here and we're successful is because mom did all that she did. And so today, I want to give a little props to the moms, the unsung moms that are out there. We're going to focus on Naomi. Is that good? And so we're going to talk about I, what I pulled out of scripture today as I was reading this and God spoke to me. I got about six life lessons from a good mom that I want you guys to write down because I think they're going to serve you well later on in life or possibly in the situation you're going through right now in life itself. This isn't just about lessons for moms. This is lessons, spiritual lessons from a godly mom. And that is Naomi and we're going to focus on her. So for those of you guys that you haven't read the book of Ruth in a while, or maybe you've never read the book of Ruth, I'm going to give you a quick summary of all four chapters of the book of Ruth. Are you guys ready? Yes. No, I mean, you guys got, are you ready? Yes. It's like, yes, Uncle Carl, tell us a story. Yeah? Okay, I'm going to summarize for you guys 
the book of Ruth, all four chapters, again, because I'm not going to, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but you are going to read it later on today or tonight, right? You are. Yes, you are. Okay. Um, we're going we're gonna to stop back on a few of the details along the way, and I'm going to give you some of the life lessons from Naomi. But here, in a nutshell, is the summary of the book of Ruth, okay? Starts off with Naomi and her husband. They are Israelites, Hebrew, Jewish people, God's people, living in Israel, particularly in the land of Judah, in the town of Bethlehem. And a famine strikes the land, which means they're probably making a living off the, the, the crops and the fruit of the land and maybe the livestock. A famine comes along, and so this family, it's Ruth, or sorry, I'm confusing you already, Naomi and her husband and her two boys, and they decide, we're going to head out, out of the land of Israel where we're at, over to the land of Moab, where we think that we can make a better living because there's no famine over there. So we're going to go ahead and move. And they moved to a whole new land, a whole new culture, worshiped other gods and everything. But these were good, God-fearing people. They, they had to walk because back in those days, right, they didn't have cars. So they had to drive their what? The Chevrolet legs, right? You guys caught that? Caught that play on words there? Anyway, so they had to use their legs and their walking and their donkeys. And they only moved about 30 miles away but literally, it was across the Jordan River. It was a totally different culture. So this family now, strangers in a strange land, trying to make their life better, all excited, hopes and dreams, let's go do this thing. Shortly after they get there, Naomi's husband, the head of the household, dies. We don't know why. It's tragedy. He dies. She's left as a widow. She's got two boys. The boys get old enough to be married, and so they marry two girls from the land of Moab, right? Two local girls from Moab, two Moabites, right? One of them is named Orpah, unfortunate for her, and the other one is named Ruth, right? And so the boys marry these two girls, and after 10 years' time, both boys, both sons died. We don't know what they died from. We probably they got sick. Their names, Malan and, and, and Killian, actually means sickly and pining away. So they're like sickly kids, apparently, right? They're named that way. But here's the tragedy now. Naomi, looking for a new life, looking for prosperity and all of this provision, moves. Husband dies. Ten years later, both sons die. She's left as a widow. In Bible days, if you're a widow, you cannot work for yourself. You're poor. You had to kind of get what people would offer you, and there's different ways that you could get food. But you're Life is pretty rough on you. So now she's left alone, stranger in a strange land with two daughter-in-laws. So she is sitting there in an overwhelming, terrible place, just going, oh my gosh, I never thought my life would turn out like this. She hears back in Judah, where she's from, that the Lord had showed up and he was bringing in good crops again. And so she figures, you know what? I might as well head back that way right now. She grabs the daughter-in-laws, let's go back home where I'm from. On the way, she goes, wait a minute. I don't want to do this to you guys. You two girls, you don't owe me anything. My sons are gone. Your husbands are gone. My husband's gone. You, we're not, I, you don't have to come with me. She goes, you guys stay. I want what's best for you. May God bless you richly by giving you new husbands and you don't owe me anything. I love you and you know, it's, it's hard to part, but I want what's best for you. So Orpah Winfrey decides, oh, you know what? I, I'm just making that up, by the way. It just sounded like or Oprah, right? But anyways, Orpah says, you know what, I love you, but I'm going to go ahead and stay. Thank you, Naomi. Um, see you later. But Ruth, on the other hand, the other daughter-in-law, the star of the book of Ruth, right? She gets her own name. Um, she decides, I see something in you, Naomi, that draws me to you. It says she, she cleaved to her. She was drawn to Naomi. She goes, I'm going to leave everything that I know familiar, and I'm going to come with you to your land. So they move back home to Judah, Bethlehem. And as two widows, again, they can't, 
provide for themselves. But as it's the start of, of harvest season, where they're harvesting the wheat and the barley and everything like that, they're not technically allowed to work a job because they're women and they're widows, right? This is just the, the nature of society back then. So after everybody has harvested the fields, there's some wheat and some grain that gets left behind. And also Jewish law said that you're not allowed to harvest the entire field. You have to leave the corners unharvested. So it's kind of like an early Jewish welfare system. That's for the poor people and for the widows to come around and to take the leftovers so that they can kind of eke out a living and they can, they can make buy. You know, they have enough to live off of. So basically Ruth goes, hey, Naomi, you think it's okay if I went out there and it's called gleaning the fields? Can I go glean behind all the harvesters and get whatever I can find so that we can live? And Naomi says, yes, please go do that. In the midst of it, Ruth kind of coincidentally enough wanders into this one field where she's gleaning behind and it's this really nice rich landowner farmer guy by the name of Boaz who takes a liking to Ruth and sees the way that Ruth treats her mother-in-law and goes, you know what, I'm going to help provide for you guys. I'm going to give you some extra stuff. Make sure you eat well. And here, my servants, make sure you take care of those two and protect them and just, just watch over them. And so they stumble into this really nice guy and it turns out this guy Boaz is actually the family redeemer or kinsman redeemer, closest relative to Naomi's deceased husband, um, who had died previously. Now, here's a little bit of uh, Jewish law at the time. It's called the Leveret Law. It means that if a man dies and he leaves a widow behind, then the closest brother or relative should marry that widow so that they could have a son which would actually continue the bloodline and the lineage and the family name of that deceased husband so that the family doesn't just stop right there. Does that make sense? In other words, it's a way of providing for the widows, but also continue, continuing um, the name of Naomi's husband and that they can continue to have like a heritage and a legacy behind. So in the midst of that, Boaz turns out, just so happens, Ruth wanders into his field of all the farmers in the land, just happens to, to wander in there. We see a miracle of God. And so Boaz eventually... Um, Naomi coaches her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Here's how you want to hook things up. Go tell him that you're interested and that marrying him and all of this, that he legally has rights to marry you and take care of all of us. And in the end, they get married and life is good. And, and Naomi and Ruth both get blessed in the end of the story. So that was four chapters. You guys following with me so far? That's the whole story, the summary. But I want to stop along a couple verses along the way that I think are really cool that basically give us, men and women, no matter where we're at, some lessons from a good mom in scripture today. You guys ready to get into this sermon? Yeah. Let's get into the word of God here. Ruth uh, chapter one, verse one. Here's the details. I'll read it fast. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel. No, just kidding. Not that fast. Um, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Just so you guys know what that means, the, the days when the judges ruled in Israel. Here's a little backstory. Joshua had brought the people over into the promised land, right? Moses hands off to Joshua. Joshua leads the people into the, the land of milk and honey. Sets it up. Hey, if you guys obey God, everything is going to go good for you. Well, the people, apparently it turns out, left to their own devices, got a little bit lazy, kind of forgot about God a little bit. And they went through this period when the judges ruled Israel where they kind of just said, you know, it's up to us. We're going to live how we choose. And they kind of didn't necessarily honor God. So for about 325 years, the time of the judges, People were just kind of doing what they wanted to do. It was a very dark time in Israel's history. God's, God raised up a few people, these judges, these heroes, that kind of turned his people back towards him, but they kept kind of blowing it until a king came along, King Saul, and really said, hey, this is what we need to do. Let's turn to God. Let's make God 
our one true God and kind of brought some order and stuff. So this, during this time of Judges, people were a little bit squirrely and kind of doing life as they wanted and kind of forgot about God. But this is the setting in which we find uh, Naomi and her husband. And here it says, In those days in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from the Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, there it is, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. This is the setting in which we kind of pick up the story of Naomi in the book of Ruth is Naomi's just devastated. She lost everything, right? But it says in verse 6, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people back in Judah, back where she's from, by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she'd been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Okay, just to kind of set the, the picture here, Naomi is bummed. She's hurting. She's devastated. She's disappointed. She's overwhelmed. Life has dealt her some serious blows. Her means of providing for herself are very limited now because her husband, who she loved, who she had her family with, has passed away. Her two boys, who she was hoping, at least I have them. They're going to rise up. They're going to take care of me. We're going to still have that family together. Both of them die as well. She's got nothing left. She's got two daughter-in-laws that don't owe her anything, and she doesn't owe them. And, and she's just kind of like, you know what? I don't know what to do. My life is up to here. And here's where we pick up the picture, and we can kind of go, I think I can kind of relate to Naomi. There's been times in my life, or maybe there's a time in your life right now, when you just felt like the rug got pulled out from under you. When you felt like life was just beating you up and kicking you on the ground while you're down and laughing at you at the same time, right? Anybody ever felt just devastated in life? You, maybe you've lost someone, a loved one. I, I know there's people in this church this morning that said, man, that sermon was so good for me because I lost family members recently or it's been hard for me. And maybe you feel like, Naomi, I, I didn't do anything to deserve this and yet, God, why, why is this happening to me? I didn't think that my life was going to turn out like this. That's the first point I, I had in the, in the notes in there is I didn't think my life was going to turn out like this. I thought that I loved this man or whatever, and, I, and I've been married, and now we're divorced. How did that happen, God? Why am I here? Lord, I, I thought I was going to pursue this career of my dreams, and I've been in the same stinking dead-end job for the past seven years, and I hate it. Why am I here? Why am I in this situation? God, I've been trying to do good and, and my money and my financial thing just, it all fell apart and I'm like broke and I'm in debt and I, I never thought I'd be here. Or I talked to some people recently in, in my life that I know that come to church and they're struggling with addictions to drugs and alcohol and they're going, I know, why did I get into that stupid stuff those years ago? Why did I try that stuff that led to this wreck of a life that I'm in right now and I'm trying to climb out of this pit? How did my life end up like this? Anybody in the room ever relate to any of that kind of stuff? Come on, it doesn't have to be drastic, but you're like, wait, really? I thought this person was different, and I thought my friend would never betray me. And I thought, God, I, I held on to you, and why is cancer such a real thing in this world? Why does this have to happen? And you're angry, you're frustrated, you're sad, you're overwhelmed, you're bitter. Or maybe you're just like, sometimes like me, it's like, God, life is just harder than I thought it was going to be. 
And there's no major one thing. It's just a million little things that keep pounding you down. And you're just going, it's hard. Well, here's the position that Naomi is in. And as we're looking for life lessons in here, one of the things that I see about Naomi that's pretty interesting in this is that in the midst of her being in this place where life is just done and got her beaten up, she hears that the Lord is blessing his people over here with good crops. And know what she does? She goes to where the Lord is. In the midst of her going, I don't want the Lord. I'm going to run from the Lord. The Lord took my family. I don't have anything. I probably should just take my own life. Everything is terrible in my life. Uh, she went to the Lord. Now, this is what I want you to hear in this because this is a, a point for us. She went back to Judah where the Lord was blessing people, but this is what she risked. She risked humiliation. She risked embarrassment. Think about this. You left over 10 years ago with wide-eyed dreams and hopes and a godly husband and two boys, and you're going, we're setting out for dreams and adventure and prosperity, and now you're coming back all these years later realizing that I got nothing to show for it. And I went off with these big promises and all this, and everyone's gone in my life. And you've just gotten over the grieving process of losing your, your sons and your husband, and you're trying to find closure, and you're trying to not be devastated. You go back home, and everybody's going to go, hey, Naomi, hey, where's your husband? Where's the boys? Where's everybody at? And all of that gets stirred up in you again, the grieving process all over. Not only that, there's fear of the unknown. You don't know what you're walking back into if you're going to be provided for. Yeah, there's fear of, man, I'm a failure. I set out like this and I come back with nothing. And then not to mention, you're walking down familiar streets where you go, oh, not this road. Last time I walked down this road, I was leaving town with two happy little boys holding hands. And I remember those memories. Oh, and there's that tree where I met my husband, where we fell in love, where we had our first kiss and he, he proposed to me. And you know, there's the, oh, there's the house we used to live in. And she's coming back, facing all of this hurt, this shame, this, this grief, this, her pride is leveled now. She's coming back, but here's what I want you to hear. She went back anyway. She heard that God was moving here, and you know what she did? She went towards God. Let me give you guys, I told you I got six lessons for you. Here's the first one. When you're out of answers, just keep going towards God. When you're out of all answers and all of, I can't solve these problems on my own. Why did this have to happen to me? Why did I do this to myself? How did I get here? I never wanted this life. When you're out of answers, you know what the best decision you can do is? Go to where God is. I talk to people all the time that go, you know what, I, I don't know how you're gonna, your church is going to take me because I've been in this kind of a, I've been in a homosexual relationship for the past three years. And you say that church and God has answers, but what are you guys going to think about me and judge me? And what's God going to think of me? And other people are going, you know what, I'm, I've got all these addictions. Carl, I'm addicted to cocaine and to meth. I've got some heavy stuff. What is the church going to think of me? What, what's God going to do? I'm too embarrassed. I'm too shamed. I'm too humiliated. I'm too broken. I can't come to God. And I got to tell you this, the very absolute best place you can go is right towards God. He's the only one that can pull you out of all that stuff. And you know what? Don't listen to what everybody else is going to tell you. Don't go to church and be worried about what everybody else is going to say because it's not about what people will say. It's about what God thinks of you. And all he's saying is, come to me. I'll take care of all the problems. And that we got to be a church that we say we are. Hope Chapel Kanyoi Bay, we promise to love you as is. And we're going to accept you into this house. And we're going to give you grace. And we're going to give you love. But go towards God. Pick up the Bible and start reading it. Go and hang out with other Christians. Listen to worship music. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've been through or how devastating your life is. God isn't mad at you. He wants to bless you. But let's learn the lesson from Naomi. Well, I, heard, I heard God's moving in Judah. 
Well, but my life's been devastated. It doesn't matter. I heard God's doing something good over there. I want God, and I'm going to go towards God. Is that a good word this morning? Yeah. See, a couple weeks ago, I went, out, um, I went out with some of my boys. I went out with Pastor Tom. You know, he was up here with the bow tie singing you the song. Uh, one of my best friends in life, and a couple other of my really great friends um, that I've known for a long time is uh, my friend Jimmy, who's like a really big guy. And my friend Bo John, another good friend of mine. And we went out to the beach. We were looking for shells. We were diving, you know. And then we were looking maybe for surf or whatever. We went to the beach. And we drove up on the beach in my truck. And there was like this sandy kind of road going down right onto the sand, right? So we backed down as far as we thought would be safe for my truck so we wouldn't get stuck in the sand, right? Let's park it right there. We're good. Stop right there. We go out. We do our thing in the beach. We're hanging out. We're having a good time. We all jump back in the truck. Okay, let's go to the next spot. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So we're like, oh, now we should be good on the truck, right? So we jump in and, brrr, and we start motoring out. And we're like, yeah, good. The sand was hard enough. Like, brrr, and all of a sudden, brrr, the wheels just sink and we're just spinning sand out the back, right? And we're like, no, right? So we all jump out. The truck is now stuck in the sand, right? It's only two-wheel drive. I wish I had four-wheel drive. But I'm only in a two-wheel drive truck stuck in the sand. Four guys, but you know, because we're four grown men, we're like, psh, minor, we got this, Right? because we're four grown men, and it's a truck in the sand, and that's why we were put on planet Earth, right? So we're like, we can do this, no worries, you know? So all of our little Bear, bear, bear Grylls intuition comes along, man versus wild, let's get like rocks and sticks, and we know what to do, we're going to dig it out, we're going to like air down the tires, we're going to roll back, get a good stable ground, dig out the front, and we're going to motor right out of here, because we're men, we got this thing, right? And so for the next three hours... <laughs> Four grown men couldn't get one truck like 20 feet up onto solid ground. We were digging. We were doing everything. Guys were getting covered in sand and mud. And to make matters worse, I don't know if it's like God just putting us up to the challenge. It starts raining on all of us like, ah, right? And so um, we're over there. We're, we're looking everywhere. We're breaking down tree branches. We're, we're picking up rocks to stick under there. And we see this one huge big concrete block, right, this huge thing. And somebody goes, hey, I saw one over there. And we were like, oh, who's the biggest? Jimmy, go grab that one over there. So Jim checks it out. He's like, nope, that thing's too big for me. I'm over that one, right? And so we're like, oh, that would have been good. But yeah, too big, too heavy, right? And then like 15 minutes later, guess who comes walking around the bushes carrying that big thing? Pastor Tom. All five feet, two inches of him, right? And we're just like, whoa. And we're looking at Jimmy. And we're all just like, oh my gosh, we knew he was spiritually strong, but he is physically strong too, right? So he gets this big block and we stick it under the tires and we're, we're going for all of this. Side note is Tom couldn't get out of bed the next morning because my back, my back. So he's not that strong, just to let you know. I don't want it to go to his head too much, but he's a champion, but um, he's okay now. But anyways, we stick it under um, the tires, and we do all this, and they get it all lined up. And it's like, it's nonstop like this. Like, oh, go forward. Er, dig in. Okay, reverse, reverse. Like, get a little launch pad again. Build it up again. Okay, forward again. Er, er, right? We keep doing this. And at this one point, we get the block under there. We think we're ready to go. We're going to get out of the sand. And everybody goes, okay, Carl, on three. Just gun it. So I'm like looking back. I'm like, ready? This looks good. Awesome. Good. One, two, three. Er, no, reverse. Ah. Oh. I had the truck in reverse. We lost like 10 feet of ground and dug ourselves in deeper. And I'm, I was more shocked than anybody. I, like in the mi middle of it, I'm just going, what's going on? My truck's going backwards. Where are we going? We're, no. And Jimmy's over there rolling on the ground laughing. Ah! And I got the other two guys covered in dirt and sand and rain. And they don't know whether to cuss at me or to just cry. And we just, 
Three hours we were doing this madness, right? Okay, then here's the deal. Three hours later, finally, this big white four by four full-size truck comes rolling up and he's like, hey, you guys need a tow? And at that point, all of our male ego was just gone. We're like, yes, please, right? No more macho whatever. It's like, yes, please throw the rope now, right? And so three hours of us trying, nothing actually got farther away, right? Thanks to me. And then um, throw us the rope within seconds. We're out and we're good and we're on solid ground. And we're thinking about that and we're laughing about that. I was talking to Pastor Tom and we were just kind of going, isn't that like our walk in Christ though? Think about this. We get ourselves into trouble. We get ourselves stuck in places that are so terrible that we're locked in and we do everything we possibly can to get ourselves out when really all we have to do is trust in a savior that's coming along riding the great white truck or a horse, I should say, right? Like biblically speaking, the metaphor is in there somewhere comes along, you leave it up to him, and he'll pull you right out of this. Here's the first point with Naomi, is that her life was stuck in sinking sand. And she said, the only possible way I can get out of this is to go where God is going. And for, for you, wherever you're at today in your life, you got to know that there's a Savior that's bigger and stronger than you. He wants to pull you out. He didn't cause the place that got you into the trouble you're in right now, but he's the one you need to turn to to pull yourself out. Is that a good word? Luke 18, 27 puts it like this. What is impossible for people is possible with God. End of story. Okay, so look at your notes and look where it says, there's a few more points I got for you guys. Circumstances change, but they don't change me. What I put there is that Naomi, in the midst of this, she's feeling confused. She's suffering. She's empty. She doesn't understand why God allowed this to happen to her, but she didn't let it change her. That's a powerful point. Ruth 1, verses 8 and 9 says, but on the way... As Naomi grabbed her daughter-in-laws and she was heading back towards her hometown, on the way, Naomi looks at them and she says, you know what, girls, go back to your mother's homes. Then may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then they, they, she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. You know what this is saying right here is? Circumstances don't control your character. That the worst stuff just happened to Naomi ever and in the middle of it, she's still praying blessings. That means she's believing in a God that's capable of blessings. Praying blessings on these women. She's looking out for them, thinking of them. In the middle of the tragedy, her character doesn't change. She keeps on loving God and loving other people. Is that cool? See, in the middle of whatever circumstance you're in, don't let the enemy rob you and take you down that path. Just because bad circumstances happen, you don't have to turn into a bad person. Just because you've experienced a pain doesn't need to turn you into a pain in someone else's butt. Does that make sense, right? It doesn't have to control your life. Naomi, her name, her very name meant pleasant, agreeable, and delightful. And when her life was just devastated, she was still pleasant, agreeable, and delightful. She's praying blessings on these women. She loves them. She's still trusting in this God who she's going for. But she's real. She's a realist. She's hurting. So she vents a little bit. She tells the girls, just stay here. Because in, Lu in Ruth 1.13, she says, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. How many of you guys know it's okay to be honest and real and raw and vent to God? You guys know that that's okay? It's not that you get mad and you blame. But have you ever read Lamentations or ever read Psalms where the authors are just going, why? Why is this happening to me? God, how long are you going to turn your face from me? When are you going to intervene and take care of my enemies? I haven't done anything wrong. Where are you, God? But then in the midst of it, you still read, but God, I still love you. 
and I know you're powerful, and I remember your deeds and your miracles of old, and I'm going to remember that, and I'm going to hold on to it. But at the same time, we're allowed to express emotion. Because just because we don't say it with our mouth doesn't mean it's not in our heart anyway, right? And God sees the heart. So here, this is why I love Naomi, because she's real. She's raw. She doesn't change her character, but she goes, you know what it feels like? It feels like the Lord has raised his fist against me. This hurts. I don't understand it. I can still pray blessings in, in my Lord and trust in him, and I'm going to go to where he's at, but I just don't get why he's just pounding on me right now. I just, I don't understand this stuff right now. But here's the deal. In the midst of having that venting, she still lived her life in such a way that her character didn't change, that she still emulated a relationship with God and a love for other people. So much so that Ruth decided, you know what, Orpah, you can stay behind, stay with the rest of the Win Winfrey family, and you just have a happy life in Moab. But I am going to follow this woman, Naomi, because I see something in her character and in her God that I want in my life, and I'm going to follow her. Here's the third lesson I have for you guys that we see from, the, from Naomi in this one. Your response to suffering can move people closer to Jesus. The kind of woman that Naomi still was, even when tragedy struck her, was enough for Ruth to say these words to her in Ruth 1, 16 and 17. Some of the most powerful words in all of scripture. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And this is the big one. Your God will be my God. In other words, she converted from her Moabite religion, worshiping the god Chemosh, and she said, I want to follow that God that is active in your life. She goes, your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Isn't that heavy? that Naomi could be suffering and hurting, but in the midst of it, she lived her life in such a way that Ruth says, yeah, you know what? I could get married again. Yeah, you know what? This is my home. Yeah, I don't know anything to you and you don't know anything to me, but I see something in you that makes me want to say, I'm going wherever you go and your God is going to be my God. The way that we respond to suffering in our lives can move people closer to Jesus. It happens all the time. I see people all throughout this church, they go through heavy stuff. They go through tragedy. And you know what? Other people are always watching. They're always watching to go, okay, there's like some kind of a happy Jesus Christian person, but let's see what happens when their world falls apart. Let's see how happy and how devoted they are to their God now. And when you guys, members of God's household, stand firm and go, yep, my life's a wreck right now, but I'm still holding on to my God, people take notice. People are like, whoa, they actually are living their faith. It's easy to praise God when everything's going good, but when it goes bad, are you still gonna hold on to God? It drives people to a relationship with God. Ruth, whose name we get the book for and everything like that, would never have become Ruth if it wasn't for Naomi and how she acted in her life. Do you guys see that right now? That's why Naomi's the, the unsung hero in this thing. So I, that's why I love this, this thing about Naomi. But she, what I believe Naomi saw when it said, when Ruth said, she said all this, she was determined to go, and Naomi saw that and she said nothing more. You know why Naomi stopped arguing with her? Is she started to see that there was a ray of hope in the midst of the darkness. And this is the fourth point that I have. Look for the ray of hope in the middle of the darkness. Whatever dark situation you're in, God's still trying to get through to you and he's still trying to tell you he's got plans for you. And he's sending in those little relationships and friendships and small miracles that he's trying to say, I'm trying to pull you out of the pit you're in and bring you to the light of day. But you gotta make sure you notice and grab on to the good things that are happening. See, 
in the midst of it, Naomi's going, just go home, Ruth. And Ruth goes, no, I'll never leave you. You're this, you're that. And then she goes, oh, okay, I'm not going to argue with her. I believe that Naomi started to see that God was sending her a ray of hope. We need to look for the ray of hope in the midst of whatever circumstance we're in right now. You might be in a real dark place right now. It may be your fault. It may have just been something that happened to you. Maybe you lost loved ones like this. But God is trying to do things, and you need to open your eyes and look around to the good things that God is doing. We need to be a people that praise God for the stuff that we do have, right, and not dwell on the things that we don't have. Amen? We need to focus on the good things because God is still at work. He's working in the waiting. And if you've been waiting for a while, you got to start looking for the good things that God is trying to do because he is actually working. There's a friend of mine that said, I'm taking five from my career right now and my job and my career path and all this bad stuff's going on at work and I just need to get away a little bit and I need to focus and concentrate. And in the midst of it, her going through a really hard place, some of her friends have been coming into her life and speaking into her life and, and loving on her and giving her things of the Lord and just being a friend. And in the midst of it, what I see in that situation is there's rays of hope coming in the way of friendships that if she got so caught up in the moment of, oh, my career is like falling apart, and she didn't see the rays of hope that God's sending in the friendships, that she would be stuck in that forever. But she said the other day, I'm so thankful for my friends and I'm never going to get a job again where I sacrifice time, with, time at work for time with my friends. And she's learning to see the hope that God is feeding her. Is that good? Do you guys open your eyes enough to see in whatever dark circumstance you're in that God's actually trying to do good things in your life? He's sending people and he's sending miracles in the midst of all that. And so in the midst of all of this, they return to Bethlehem, right? Naomi takes Ruth, and the two of them go, you know what, we got nothing, but she goes, oh, but I, but I got Ruth. That's kind of cool. She made that commitment to me. Let's go back and let's see what we can do. And then as she comes back to Bethlehem, all the, all the people start saying this, hey, is this Naomi? We remember you from like 10 years ago, right? You, you're the one that left. And, and of course, probably saying all this stuff. Hey, where's your husband? Where's your boys? And they go, there, there's Naomi. Hey, Naomi, is that you? And here's how Naomi responds. Again, she's a realist, right? She's, she's hurt, and she expresses it. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant and delightful. She says, instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, call me bitter, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? I want you to notice this fact as we read this story. She can say that God has done bitter things in her life, right? It says, the Almighty has made my life bitter. She experienced a bitter life, but here's the difference. She didn't allow it to make her bitter. You guys understand that? Because so many times we can get hurt and then we play the victim and we stay the victim and we stay the hurt one and we stay the defeated one and we stay the lost one and the enemy is just laughing at us because that's what he intended for us. But here is this woman that experienced a bitter life but she didn't let it become bitter. She kept going towards God. She kept loving Ruth and Orpah. She kept on holding out for something better. We don't have to let bad circumstances make us a bad person. Amen? We don't have to let a hurt make us hurtful towards other people. We don't have to let a pain that we experience make us a pain in the butt to someone else, right? We, we can choose to rise above. We don't have to let the circumstances change our character. We can experience a defeat, but we don't have to remain defeated. Amen? Come on, this is, this is what Naomi is telling us. Don't let a failure make you a failure. You just went through that thing. Ruth 2.19 said when she actually did finally make it back to Bethlehem and 
And Ruth started gleaning the wheat and started being cared for by Boaz and good things were happening. Then Naomi said this to Ruth, hey, where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked, where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. See, that's not a bitter heart. That's someone that's saying, I'm still praying blessings. I believe in this God of blessing and I'm praying blessings on whoever blessed you with all of that wheat and all that grain and the provision that you're doing. So she wasn't bitter. Bitter circumstances didn't make her become bitter. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. Well, then here's Naomi's response. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He's showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. In fact, that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. So Naomi's thinking, you know what? I got this awesome relationship with Ruth. Someone is providing for us. I'm happy about that. And now I find out that that guy, Boaz, I know him. He was a relative to my deceased husband. He could possibly be our family redeemer. He could pull us out of this whole mess we're in. Here's Naomi focusing on the rays of hope that God is sending her. And she's excited about it. She doesn't miss it. And here is the fifth lesson that I see in Naomi. She didn't just notice the good things happening. She celebrated the wins in her life. And in your life right now, you need to celebrate the wins. I need to celebrate the wins. Anytime God does something good, you better acknowledge it and make a big deal about it because it'll change your whole attitude and God will send more and more of those wins to you until all the good outweighs the bad and you're in that next season of blessing in your life. Do you believe that? That God is trying to hook your life up and to bless you, send you the rays of hope in the darkness, but you have to stand on that and go, I see it, God. I acknowledge it. And thank you, God. I praise you. I'm going to celebrate the victories. I'm going to celebrate the wins in my life. Lord, I'm going to praise you for the things that I have instead of dwelling on the things that I don't have. As Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, he says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Can somebody say amen? amen? This is the overcoming spirit that says, yeah, life hurts and life sucks right now. Can I say that? It hurts. But God is doing stuff, and I'm going to celebrate everything that God does in my life. I'm going to celebrate the wins in my life. And this is, the, this is Naomi. This is what she lived. And my daughter, and my daughter, not my daughter-in-law, I only have a daughter. I don't have any daughters-in-law yet, heaven forbid. I have a daughter, my oldest. She's 15. She's finishing up ninth grade at Commitment Schools. And we love the school. My daughter's been in since seventh grade, the past three years, right? But she struggles like crazy with the homework. And it's not the school, it's her, it's Kylie. And we were going through all of these things in seventh grade. It was so hard for her and, you know, having to have talks with the teachers and it's like a, a fight every night. Come on, just do the homework, do your work and all this stuff and, and progress reports and the whole deal. And it's just, it's a hard, hard time in her life and in our life as the parents. And then finally, the school actually said, you know, we want to test her. And so I, I love the school just in the fact that they would take time to test her and not just write her off and say she's dumb or something. They took time to test her. And she took the test. And you know what the test came back and said? Your daughter is near brilliant. She just has study habit problems. And it's not just her choosing to be lazy or whatever. She actually, the way her brain works, it's very hard. It takes her a lot longer than normal kids. But you know how smart she is? She's really smart. You got a good girl on your hands. And so you know what? When we're struggling and hurting and going, oh, this is so hard. It's hard for her. When we found out that good news, you know what we did? We celebrated that win. We celebrated with her and said, see, Kylie, you are smart. You are not dumb. You're a smart person. It just says that you have a problem. And she rejoiced in that. 
I'm not a dummy. I'm not a bad person. And we rejoice with her. We're like, we know it. We love you. We see how, how smart you are. We're proud of you. But something was going on. And you know what? They just explained that you got a hard thing going on. So the next from seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade, it's still been really hard for her. But you know what I noticed? My daughter is just like me. That's how I used to be. I was smart. They put me in the GT programs and all that kind of stuff. But I had a hard time doing the work. I just had a really hard time. I was smart. I just couldn't do it. And so I, I related to her, and it's kind of like, sorry, Kylie, you got my genes. I feel bad about that. Sorry for you. But you know what? We're not going to focus on all the negative stuff every single day and how much you can't do. <clears throat> Promise me that you'll just pass your classes, please. I want you to get an education from Kamehameha. There's an amazing institution. But just do your best. Please just pass. And it's been a struggle, but every time she does good, and she does, gets a good grade, because a lot of times it's hard grades, right? When she gets a good grade and she gets an assignment done well, you know what we do about that? We celebrate that win. We stick it up on the refrigerator, and there's only a couple of them there, but that's okay. We celebrate the wins, and we, we praise her, and we thank her, and we do something special for her. We'll take her to dinner, whatever, but we celebrate those wins. Why? Because it's so much better to celebrate the good things that are going on than to get so hung up in all the bad things that are going on. And my daughter's got a few more years left in high school, and life is not all about the grades on the homework assignments. Amen? I was that same way, and I turned out all right, right? Hey, don't laugh. Don't laugh. That's cold, man. I turned out okay. And I told Kylie, God loves you. You love him. You're smart. He's got a plan for your life. Just get through high school and you're going to do something amazing. Let's focus and celebrate the wins and all the good stuff in your life and just get through that hard years of homework. Is that good? Celebrate the wins in your life. This is what Naomi did. In the midst of what, what life was throwing her, she decided, no, I'm going to make the most of it. So her daughter-in-law is gleaning the fields. Ruth is gleaning the fields. Ruth in, in in Ruth 3.1, Naomi says this to her. My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. The hard times didn't change Naomi. She's still thinking of other people and loving them. So she coached Ruth basically on, you know what, that guy's the kinsman redeemer. He could come in. If he marries you, takes care of you, then if you have a son, then that, that kind of symbolically in the family law could be like my son because I lost two sons. And it would be that our family heritage and name and legacy continues to go on, which is a blessing to us. But also Boaz can provide for me and you if he marries you and he takes care of all of us. And so she coaches Ruth. Here's what you need to say to him. Here's how it all goes down. Go read the book for the details. But basically, Boaz says yes. He likes Ruth. They get married. And then this is now where the blessings come in because God always keeps his promises and always follows up on the blessings. So look at Ruth 4.13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi. Remember I told you the book starts with Naomi and it ends with Naomi. Even though Ruth gets the credit, Ruth, you sneaky stealer of glory and credit. But anyways, we know Naomi is the true hero, right? So anyways, it says, then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in his old age. He is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you, and check this line out, has been better to you than seven sons. Yeah, you lost two, but that woman coming into your life, she's been better than seven sons born to you. And then they said this, or it says that Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast. She cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, which means a servant or a worshiper of God. 
and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David, as in King David. Is that cool or what? So see, at the end of Naomi's life, God proved faithful, that she didn't give up on him. She went to where he was. She held on. It didn't let her character be affected by the tragedy that was going on and circumstances in her life. And God said it was all worth waiting for. And here's the sixth and final lesson that we get from Naomi. Sometimes the best blessings take the most time. Sometimes the best blessings take the most time and they're worth waiting for. Amen? Look what happened to Naomi. She, she said earlier in the story, I'm empty, I'm bitter, my life is over. But I'm still going to hold on to God and I'm still keep doing things his way. And God said, I believe in you still. And God's saying to you here this morning, if you're going through a hard time and you're just about giving up, God's going, hey, hold on, Christian, a little bit more. I love you. I believe in you. I'm trying to send some rays of hope in your life. I'm going to make your dreams come true. Just hold on. I still got you. Hold on. Sometimes the best blessings are worth waiting for. They just take the most amount of time. <clears throat> Look what happened to Naomi. She got a son to love for her and care for her. Brought her joy, her years of emptiness. Now she's living out the remaining years of her life, fulfilled, living in abundance, living a rich life. She's not a poor widow anymore. Her and Ruth are now provided for by this godly man named Boaz who's taking care of all their needs. She develops this amazing bond with her daughter-in-law that even the other women in town go, what you have with Ruth is amazing. It's better than seven sons. She's abundantly blessed over and over in all of this, not to mention she didn't just get a grandson, but basically Obed became the grandfather of David, which if you follow the lineage even further on, she was, he became an ancestor of Jesus Christ himself in the same family line. How heavy is that? That the woman that was empty and bitter now goes down in Bible history, leaving a legacy that her family line went all the way down, followed it to Jesus. That God said, Naomi, you are not empty. You're not bitter. I'm going to use you to bless the entire world through Jesus Christ. How much of an honor is that for Naomi? How cool is that that God had plans for her? See, one of my friends... Uh, on Facebook recently. He's been posting pictures of his little son. He has a newborn son. He's married. He's living in the mainland, and he has this brand new baby boy. And I was congratulating him. Hey, awesome. Congratulations. There's no better feeling than to be a dad. Then he goes, it's been a long road. I said, oh, yeah. You know, you waited a while. He goes, it's been a long road. I've been married 12 years. The past five years, we've been trying to have a baby. And during that time, we've suffered miscarriages We've had to deal with all the fertility stuff and all the doctors and all of the money and all the pain and the heartache and everything that goes along with that. We finally get pregnant. My son is born. He's 21 days in the NICU. We thought we were going to lose him. But last night, the tubes came out of his nose. He came home, a healthy baby, and I have a healthy baby boy. I have a brand new son. And I'm just, yeah, I'm rejoicing with him. And as I look at those pictures, and I'm just so blessed, and he's telling me things about his son and everything, I'm just thinking, you know what? That's amazing. You had to go all through that. And he can say, it was worth it because of what I have right now. Sometimes the best blessings in life are worth waiting for. Naomi lost it all. God didn't intend for that to happen. But God said, I have a plan. I'm going to bless you. It might take a little while to get there, but the blessing at the end is going to be well worth it. I'm going to use you, Naomi, to bless the whole entire world through Jesus Christ, who's going to be in your lineage. Isn't that cool? And that's the story that we have. And here, I want to end it with this verse in Isaiah that I believe is a, is a verse of hope for you if you're going through a hard time. The verse in Isaiah 61 verse 3 in the New King James says that Jesus came to console those who mourn, to give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, 
the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified in our lives. Is that a good word or what this morning? That God knows where you're at, wherever you're going through, whatever situation you're in. God has hope in store for you. And Naomi, this godly mom in scripture, gave us all those lessons. Just hold on. God's going to come through for you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we love you. And we, again, thank you for our moms this morning, Lord. We thank you for the example of Naomi in scripture, Lord, and the fact that she was a good mom. She was a real mom. She was a realist. She, she was hurt. And she complained a little bit, Lord. But just like no more than you and I do, Father God, as we just come, come before you and we vent to you sometimes, Lord, but we hold on. And Lord, we see that from this lesson that holding on is well worth it, Lord, that you are a God of promises, that you're a God that continues to bless us if we would just hold on to you. And Lord, it's hard a lot of times to go to where you are, to read our Bibles, to go to church and to, to hang out with Christian people. And there's a lot of reasons why we'd want to run the other way. But Lord, when we come to you, you're the only one that can save us. You're the only one that can turn our situation around. You're the only one that gives us the ray of hope in the midst of the darkness, and then eventually the, the blessings and the promises fulfilled. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are in our lives. And, Lord, if there's people in this room that are going through dark times right now, I pray, Father God, give them the strength through your Holy Spirit to hold on, to hang, hang on to your promises and to your word and to fellowship with other Christians and to, to reading and to praying and to just staying close to where you are because that's where the answers come from. And, Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room here today that you came here today and you're feeling far from God. You're feeling like you don't really know him. You don't really have a true, honest-to-goodness relationship with him. You've heard about him. You know about him, but you're just not where you need to be. Well, then I would love for you to let me have the opportunity to pray with you this morning to bring you into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father in heaven, and with the, all the power, the miraculous power of his Holy Spirit. And if you're at a point in time where you're ready right now to say, that sounds good to me, I'm tired of living this life on my own. There's got to be more to life than this. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, there absolutely is. There's a God in heaven that loves you, that doesn't judge you, that won't judge you, that won't condemn you, but he wants to set you free. He wants to bless you. He wants to change you. All you got to do is come close to him. And if you want to take that step of faith this morning and say a prayer with me just to say, God, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to see what he could do in my life. Then I would love to have the opportunity to pray with you right now. And maybe you're someone else in this room in a different situation where you've known God before. You were close to him. You might have said yes to him years ago, but you've, for some reason, you've wandered away. You've kind of let that relationship go dry. And you know that it's not God that's, that's turned away from you, but you know that you've kind of given up on him or walked away from him or kind of just forgot about him. But if you're at a place in life right now where you're ready to rededicate and to jump back in with both feet, with all your heart, with all your, your life, all your mind, soul, body, and strength, you're willing to take a chance and go, okay, God, I'm here. I'm going to come towards you. I'm going to believe in you and what you have for my life and see what God can do. If that's you as well, either coming to God for the first time or just rededicating and meaning it from the bottom of your heart, then allow me to say this prayer with you. Don't chicken out on this one. This is a big step here, a big prayer. What we're going to do is I'm going to say a prayer with you and for you. I'm going to pray it out loud, but I won't ask you to pray it out loud. I know that's got to be kind of scary for you. But I believe that God, it says in Scripture, he judges us on our heart. And so right now, I'm going to pray words out loud. You pray them in your heart of hearts, and God will hear you and see you. And later on, you can go own up and be accountable and, and confess it with your mouth and say to someone, hey, I pray that prayer. I'm a Christian now. But I think first step is in the heart. So if you want to take that chance and that opportunity right now to pray, I'm going to say the words for you to bring you into relationship, 
eternal with God. And then you're going to live it out. So if you want to do that, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray the prayer in a minute, but I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand and hold it up until I see it. If you want to say that prayer with me, giving God control of your life and saying yes to him. So if you want to do that on three, just raise your hand and then we'll pray together. And then God's going to do the new work that he promised to do in your life. So if that's you, everybody else has their eyes closed and their heads bowed. But if that's you, one, two, and three, just lift your hands if that's you. Hold them up. I want to see them. I see one person here. I see two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm looking around. I hope I got everybody. I saw at least seven people, if not eight, maybe. Thank you, Father God, for those hands. If that was you, go ahead and put your hand out. You make this the prayer of your heart. I'm going to say it out loud. You pray it in your heart of hearts to God. God, I'm here today, and bottom line, I need you. I want you. Lord, I understand who you are. I'm beginning to understand who you are and that you love me and that you've got good plans for my life and you want to bless me. You want to pull me out of the, the hardship that this life is all about, that you're here to help me. Well, God, I'm saying yes to all of that. I'm saying yes to believing that your son Jesus came to earth over 2,000 years ago. He went to that cross for my sins. He came down and he taught us how to live and how to have a relationship with you. And then he went to the cross to take upon himself the punishment of us for our wandering away from God. That Lord, your son Jesus paid the price for me. And Lord, as he went to that cross, he didn't stay there, but he rose again on the third day, proving he is God, proving that he overcame death and sin and guilt and shame and hurt and loneliness and baggage and issues and addictions and depression and all the stuff that I carry, he put to death and he gave me freedom in Jesus Christ, freedom to know you and to have relationship with you, Father God. And so, Lord, I believe that with all my heart. I receive that price that he paid. And from now on, I'm going to live that out all the days of my life. Lord, as I read my Bible and learn more about you, as I pray and just develop a relationship with you where I just talk to you. Lord, as I stay involved in the family of God and I come to church and interact with other brothers and sisters that are going to just encourage me, inspire me, and love on me, and bless me. Lord, as I get water baptized as a symbol of what you're doing in my life right now, Lord, I'd be dying to my old self and being born a new creation. But I pray that you would give me the, the opportunity to do that soon, Lord, and that I would also receive all of the power of your Holy Spirit, God, because I need miracles. I need help in my life. So that I receive all of the filling and the, the fullness of your Holy Spirit at work in my life. Lord, everything that you have for me, my answer right now is yes. I will follow you all of my days into eternity. I no longer fear death because I know where I'm going for all of eternity. Thank you for loving me and accepting me as I am. And in Jesus' mighty name, the church said, Amen. Let's praise God for those seven or eight people that joined our family this morning. Amen.